Well, have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever felt not good enough? Have you ever felt maybe just simply not there yet, right? Like, man, I, at some point I'm going to figure this out. I'm going I'm to get there. I'm just not feel this way. I'm not going to act this way. I'm, I'm going I'm to be worthy of this situation, of this context. There, there are times when there's a reality of not being good enough or feeling unworthy, and it's a devastating feeling. I remember, maybe the first time I remember feeling this was in seventh grade. Um, I got cut from the seventh grade basketball team. Now, it wasn't, the, don't, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Basketball has never been my passion, or maybe I decided in that moment it wasn't my passion, just to ease the pain. Um, but I made it for, through the first couple rounds of cuts, Then I, was, I think I was literally the last kid cut from the team. Um, and I just remember thinking, man, I'm, I'm not good enough, and that means I don't get to participate. I don't get to play. I don't get to be a part of this thing. I, I just didn't make it, right? And and it's one of those things, it's kind of a crazy time because as you're growing up, it's just, if you're there, you get to play, right? If you sign up, you get to be a part of it. And it's wild because my kids in some of their travel sports, you're doing tryouts at like second, third grade and feeling some of that pressure. So I can't even imagine how that feels, but that was, that was seventh grade for me. And, and it was like, man, I, this is a different kind of a feeling. Like I'm not good enough and that matters right now, right? And, and then that same year, I, I, uh, I played percussion from like fifth grade through eighth grade wasn't passionate about that either. I wanted to play a drum set, and they're like, oh, well, you should play percussion. Then you play the xylophone for four years, and you're like, oh, that's just as cool. Um, no offense to any kids out there playing percussion. It is super cool. Just not as cool as a drum set. So, uh, but it was one of those things where you guys know you start off the year, and you kind of establish first chair, second chair, third chair. Um, I was never first chair. When I was younger, there was always some stud eighth graders who were doing all that. And then when I got to eighth grade, some seventh grader moved into the district, and he was sweet, and so he always was first chair. So the battle was always for second chair. And you guys remember, you do the thing, and whatever you're at, you can kind of build your way up and challenge the person in front of you. And so I was challenging for second chair, and you go off, and we would go into a room and play the piece, and everybody would vote, and then you'd come out, and they'd tell you who won, and it wasn't me, right? So, so I never really got to that second chair spot, but it was another one of those things like, man, I just wasn't worthy of that challenge. I wasn't worthy of that spot. And it just kind of jars you a little bit. Same year, first time I ever got dumped by a girl, right? Whatever that means for a seventh grader, I experienced it. Emily Malka, seventh grade. And at some point, I recognized I need to go see someone about seventh grade because there were clearly some things happening in my life that are probably still kind of churning in there somewhere. But again, same type of a deal. Like, okay, for whatever reason, I am unworthy of this relationship, right? This seventh grade relationship that was going on. I'm, I'm un unworthy of this experience, unworthy of this team, and that is a brutal place to be. Now, in contrast, sometimes those feelings are a reality. I'm not good enough, and yet it's okay. Uh, fast forward to college years, 2021, 20, 22, like most uh, careers, most professions, there's some type of an internship process. I remember being an intern at a church in the Grand Rapids area that I was privileged to end up getting a job and working at for a number of years. But in the, in the early days, when you're young, right, what you do, you do stupid things, right? You make dumb decisions, you do unwise things. And, and uh, the guy that I served under, his name's Kevin, still a very influential person in my life to this day, uh, he would call me in and sometimes I would end up in his office, office and it was just for fun, right? We'd mess around, be silly, uh, all that kind of stuff that happens in, in an office. But sometimes I would sit down and I always knew when it was getting serious because he would open with this line every time and he'd say, hey, let me give you some wisdom. 
And when he said that, every time he said that, I knew, oh, man, I screwed up. I did something stupid or, or whatever. And, and he would, sometimes it was just a simple course correction. Sometimes he would, he would redirect an idea that I had or he'd say, hey, man, I've, I've been there. I've done that. If you do this, it's not going to work. Do it this way instead. Hey, you shouldn't have said that. Say it this way instead. Here's how you answer that parent email, right? Don't start with a swear word. All of those different things <laughs> that you do in church world. I never did that, but it would have, been, uh, would have felt really good at a couple different points. But basically just saying, hey, that's not smart. That's not a good idea. That's unwise. Let me redirect you. And in that moment, I had fallen short. I had done something dumb or unwise or careless. I was unworthy of whatever moment I had been placed in. But in that context, it was okay. I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't fired. I wasn't being asked to leave. It was a very special thing, a special moment, a special experience to realize that I'm not there yet. I don't have it all figured out. I did do something dumb. I did make a mistake, but it's okay. I didn't have to fear being imperfect. I didn't have to worry about where I stood with Kevin or others on the staff. I wasn't good enough, but it was okay. And that is the type of fear not experience that we're going to see in the Christmas story today. If you haven't been with us a couple weeks ago, Joe kicked things off talking about Mary and basically said, hey, fear not. Nothing is impossible with God. And the point we drove home that week is the fact that this isn't about something unlikely becoming more likely. This is about something impossible becoming possible because of God's influence in our lives and the power of his Holy Spirit. And then last week we talked about Joseph and just how it's so difficult sometimes to face that tension between what people are going to think and what people are going to say and what God thinks and what God says. And so we, don't, we shouldn't fear. Fear not what people think. Instead, pursue obedience to the God who has called us and forgiven us and raised up the standard for us. And so today we talk about the shepherds. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Little Miss Lila read some of the the story to us this morning. But in Luke 2.8, it starts talking about the shepherds. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now before we go any further, we've got to understand what's going on with these shepherds. This is not a career that's real high on the priority list for people of that time, right? The, the status of a shepherd wasn't super significant in that first century Jewish world. Top of the food chain are the religious leaders, right? That, that's what every kid wants to be ultimately when they grow up. They want to be a priest or a scribe or a Pharisee, one of the Sadducees, somebody in that religious world because it's a very religious culture. It was all tied up with their family and commerce and community, all of those things. So religious leader was the top of the food chain. Now, I know it's hard to imagine a world like this, but in their world, your personal status, your ranking was very much dependent on what you valued, what your theology was, your access to education, your political views, your family tree, right? I know it's hard to imagine a world like that, but you're just going to have to work with me, right? All of your value determined by things you couldn't even really control. And so priest, scribe, Pharisee, those things were at the top, and then you'd see things that we see today, right? There were accountants, there were educators, there were builders, there were engineers, there was bricklayers, there was farmers, all all those jobs in between there, and then way, way down the list, just above tax collector, was shepherd. Low status, potentially a very embarrassing job, not your first choice, if you had a choice. This was a job reserved for the uneducated, 
those who couldn't hack it in the early days of school, those who couldn't get into the religious training, those who had no hope for promotion, no hope for advancement. And then even within a shepherding family, like if that was your family tree and your grandpa was a shepherd and your dad's a shepherd, now you and your siblings are shepherds, even within a shepherding family, it usually got kicked down to the youngest son or even a servant or even a slave. And like many societies throughout history, you'd see that generational cycle where generation after generation would be stuck We've always been shepherds. We're always going to be shepherds. This is who we are. Little to no path for change within that family tree. So all of those things are realities for the shepherds. But above all of those practical realities are some spiritual realities that they would have experienced because of their lot in life, because of who they were. Realities that would be true of anyone who's stuck in a situation that they wouldn't choose for themselves, a situation they can't get out of, a situation they can't help their kids get out of, especially in that religious culture of first century Jewish shepherds. These shepherds, because of who they were, because of what they were doing, very likely would have felt unworthy in a lot of ways. Unworthy for temple worship, unworthy for other religious experiences. The reality is that their work made them ceremonially unclean for many of the things that had to do with their faith and their religion. They were handling manure, right? Dealing with that and and with their flocks. Uh, dealing with their own cuts and scrapes, dealing with cuts and scrapes on their sheep, handling lambs and, 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 and the birthing process. All of these things would mean that they couldn't enter their temple unless they were going through several weeks of a cleaning process. Religious people wouldn't even go near them because that would make them unclean for the things that they wanted to do. Even maybe the simplest expression of faith for them, keeping the Sabbath. They couldn't even do that regularly because, as you know, sheep and goats don't take days off. And so they would find themselves feeling unworthy of the very community that they had been born into, unworthy of this religious culture that they were living in. On top of that, these shepherds likely would have felt inadequate. They're uneducated, right? So there's reasons why they couldn't go further in school. Maybe no access, maybe a victim of their family tree, maybe not smart enough, right? So, so in their system, they would all kind of start out at the same level, and a part of their educational training was to learn the scriptures. And so they would begin memorizing the first five books of what we know of as the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorize it. And that was your ticket to the next level. The more you could learn, the more aptitude you showed with that religious training, you could keep going on your journey towards being one of those religious leaders. And most kids would get left behind at different stages along the way. And if you're uneducated, you can't hang in the upper social settings. You get that vicious cycle of the generations we talked about. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not clean enough. Maybe some of you have felt some of that. Not athletic enough. Not good looking enough. Not followed on social media enough. Don't have a long Snapchat chain with any of the kids at school. Maybe for you adults, maybe you've tried to get your kids into a certain school or provide a certain type of life for them that you just haven't been able to do. Can't get them in the right travel program. All of the things that come along with life that make us feel inadequate as kids, as teenagers, as adults, as parents, as grandparents. Maybe you're the one that tends to make a mess of things with the family at Christmas. Maybe you're the one with a father-in-law who just won't approve no matter what you do. Anybody else ever been there? (laughs) Kathy's not here today, so I can be a little bit more honest with you guys. (laughs) These shepherds would have felt unworthy. They would have felt in many ways inadequate. They also likely would have felt unloved. 
or had a reputation as thieves, not exactly the type you want to hang out with or have your kids hang out with. In many contexts, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. No one with any status would have wanted their daughter to marry a shepherd. No one with any status would have wanted to give their daughter to be married to a shepherd. Maybe you've felt that way at different points. Maybe you grew up without a dad. Maybe you've lived with a spouse who left you wanting more. Maybe you're not super high on yourself either. Maybe the externals just don't measure up to the right answer for you. Unworthy. Inadequate. Unloved. There's people in your life who feel that way. There's people here this morning who feel that way. Maybe, maybe feeling that way. Maybe they've been feeling that way, and maybe they're sitting next to the person they love more than anyone else in the world, and they've never even expressed that to them, right? Maybe there's people feeling that way. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you've just been in that situation your whole life. There's just a hole you can't dig out of. Maybe you dug it for yourself. Maybe someone put you there. Maybe you were born into that hole, right? Maybe, maybe as you've grown up, you find yourself in situations where no matter how hard you work, you just can't get over the hump. Maybe you find yourself in situations where they need you over here and they also need you over here and you have to choose. You're going to either disappoint them or you're going to disappoint them. There's just not enough of you to go around. You're going to be unworthy. You're not good enough. You're not capable of the moment that you've been called to. We find ourselves in those situations. And I think the biggest tension, at least for today, is this issue that we see so often is that we, when we're stuck in that mindset, we, we find ourselves thinking, okay, if, if people see me as unworthy, if people see me as inadequate, if I see myself as unworthy and inadequate and unloved, then there's a pretty good chance maybe God sees me that way too. And those thoughts creep in, into our mind, into our soul. But we need to address this because there's this crazy contrast between the experience of the first century shepherds and all they would have been feeling and experiencing with their lot in life and the career that they had been thrust into and, and this contrast between that and what we see in Scripture on a consistent basis. All of these feelings and realities and true things about shepherds, but then how God uses shepherds and talks about shepherds throughout the story of Scripture. Page 1, page 2, Abel. The shepherd, Moses and his wife Zipporah, Rachel, King David, right? Psalm 23, this beautiful poem about the shepherd. We see Jesus throughout Scripture described as the good shepherd. How often, even knowing the realities of shepherds, how often in Scripture is the hero a shepherd, is the protagonist a shepherd? So keeping all that in mind, let's go back to Luke chapter 2. See what happens with our shepherds here. Luke 2, 8. The shepherds were in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, trying to stay awake, trying to, trying to enjoy each other, trying to have a good night, trying to get through it, right? Maybe it's cold. Maybe they're bored. Maybe they're thinking about their lot in life, thinking about their family, because I got to believe only the best of the best are given the graveyard shepherd shift, right? So these are just top-of-the-line individuals, top-of-the-line careers. This is the individuals that we come across. And in the midst of that, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, there in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. 
we see this fear not message to the shepherds. And it's very similar to other situations that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament where an angel shows up to an individual or a group of individuals. And, and sometimes it's God himself, but the glory of the Lord envelops them. We see this with Gideon back in the book of Judges where it shows up and he's like, I'm, I'm the least of my family. I'm, my family is the least in Israel. I'm, this, is, this is not good. I, I am, I'm not going to survive this situation. We see this with Isaiah when God shows up to him and says, I've got a message I need you to deliver. And Isaiah's like, no, my, I have human lips. I have unclean. I am not worthy of delivering this message. Just, just don't. I, this isn't good for me, right? We see this with Paul in the book of Acts where the glory of Jesus drives him to his face. We see this, see this with John when he's given the message for the book of Revelation. God shows up and he is driven to his face in fear. And the message is the same. As they all become painfully aware of their inadequacy before a holy, perfect, powerful God, the message is, don't be afraid. You know why? He says, you're right. No, compared to me, you're not worthy. Compared to me, you are not adequate. But in the midst of that, I've got something for you. I've got a message I need you to deliver. I've got a purpose I need you to step into. I have a mission I need you to fulfill. And so the message to the shepherds, the message to us this morning is fear not. In the midst of your unworthiness, in the midst of your inadequacies, in the midst of your feelings of not being loved, not being good enough, I bring you good news of great joy. Fear not because we're here to celebrate the birth of a Savior who's been born to you, to you. He came for you. He was born to you. He's born for me. This is a message for each one of us. And the good news is whatever they think, whatever it is that you're feeling about yourself, there's an answer for that. Now, God doesn't release the tension completely, okay? Romans 3, 20 to 22, he says this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So go back to the Old Testament and all the, the, the rules and the systems and the structure that God set up for his people. Fast forward to the New Testament, things we see in, in places like the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, what he modeled for us. And, and so God has this standard, right? This is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to be my people. I have raised the bar for you. You need to look like Jesus pursue me. This is what it's like. And yet he says, in the midst of that, you're not going to make it. You're not going to reach that bar. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to memorize enough. You're not going to be all that you're supposed to be, especially on your own, because that standard exists just to, to show us just how not good enough we are. But then he continues into verse 21, and it says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. And this is what God does. He takes all of the human statuses, all the things that we rank, careers, family tree, levels of society, your background, the, the, the level of correctness that you express in your daily life, and it takes all of those things and it puts them on level footing. And that level footing is... Not good enough. That level footing is not capable. That level footing is unworthy. And so you're right. If you're sitting there feeling like you're not good enough, like you're unworthy in many ways, you're absolutely correct. And in the world's eyes, that's a really big problem. Out in the world, that's devastating. 
Because there's no way for you to fix it unless you do all the right things and say all the right things and look right and advance right and pursue all the right things. That's the only. And so in the world's eyes, if you're not good enough, you're inadequate, that's a big problem. But then in God's eyes, there's a solution to that problem. There's an answer for that problem. He says, yeah, you're unworthy. Yeah, you're not good enough. But in God's eyes, he says, no, that's, that's okay. In me, that's okay. But we can't become acceptable to God by doing all the right things and being the right people and saying the right things and working right and being right. Because remember, we're all on equal footing. We're not worthy. We're not adequate. We're not capable. And, and, and so by any human standard, by God's standard, remember, those things only exist to show us how much we need help, how much we need Jesus, how much we need forgiveness, how much we need the new life that he offers for this life and for the life to come. And what we find out if we continue down this road is that adequacy and worthiness and love can only be experienced in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We got a big week, right? It's a big week in church world. It's a big week for your family. Big week for stores, right? None of that matters unless you know Jesus. Maybe, maybe you wandered in here Right? Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe it just feels like, oh, it's Christmas. I should probably go to church somewhere. Maybe grandma said, hey, I want you to go to church with me. Maybe, maybe somebody, maybe just whatever reason. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life. You've been in church every week for the last 40 years. But maybe it's been a bit of a game. Maybe it's been a, an effort to look right and be right and attend right and do Christmas right. It's not about any of that. God's made it very simple for us. He said, I need you to believe me. I need you to have faith in me. Because he said, I sent my son, fully God, fully man, the miracle of that, trying to wrap your brain around that, and yet he, he became a human being, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then sacrificed himself so that we could be forgiven. And in the midst of that, he says, if you'll embrace that, if you'll believe that, if you'll make that your heartbeat, then all of a sudden, he says, he says, my perfection is now your perfection. My righteousness is your righteousness. My holiness is your holiness. My worthiness is yours. My good enough is now yours through him alone. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you do me a favor and bow your head and close your eyes, and something we do even from the time we're kids, there's nothing magical about closing your eyes. It's just a chance to kind of just focus on what we want to focus on for a couple minutes this morning because there may be someone here, maybe, maybe a lot of you here who, who have been playing a game. Maybe a lot of you here who, who maybe have never fully, understand, fully understood what this is about and this is an opportunity to simply embrace what God has offered and just in the quietness of your heart saying, God, I believe. I hear the truth. I understand the truth. And I believe. I believe that Jesus came, the Son of God, to live a perfect life and die for me. Forgive me of my brokenness. Forgive me of where I've gone off track. Make me new. And from this day forward, help me to love you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you prayed that, if that is your heart, that's the biggest decision you'll ever make. And sometimes it's a split-second decision, right? Sometimes it's a moment. Sometimes it's a journey. But that's the journey you want to be on. Journey of faith. The band's going to come and lead us through one more song this morning. 
And the crux of that song is that he has come for us. But here's the thing. He came, he, he came for the shepherds, but he didn't come to change the shepherd's status on earth. All the things that we said about shepherds were still true about them after they worshipped at, the the, at the foot of the manger. In people's eyes, they were still the same. But he came to say, you don't have to be afraid of your status with him anymore. Fear not where you stand with God because in this Christ child is the joy of salvation and the joy of hope, the joy of a new status in this world and in his kingdom. And that's what it's about. Would you stand with me as we pray and sing this last song? God, we, we thank you for this truth. Thank you for this season where in, in many ways we're almost forced to stop and pay attention. We're almost forced to stop and acknowledge you and acknowledge what this is about. And so, God, may we never take for granted the meaning of all this. But the God of the universe willingly lowered himself to the status of a human to save humans. God, I pray that you would burn that truth into our hearts. And if there's any here who are still searching, who are still figuring all that out, God, I pray that you would soften their heart, reveal the truth to them, let them see and hear and live through your eyes and your ears. Continue to change, continue to transform. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.